Hey, this is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and we are here to study scriptures. And just for the record, right before we pressed record, Krista said, man, I wish I could talk about zits on the podcast. I have no comment. (laughs) That is not something that was supposed to be recorded. Anywho, we're here to talk about scriptures today. (laughs) This is uh, Mosiah chapters 29 through Alma 4. And we're glad that you're here. Um, You know what, Zach? I went through all of our episodes last year and counted how many times we said excited. Do you know how many that was? I won't even guess. Just kidding. I did not go through the, all the episodes and count how many. We just excited a lot. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, I don't want to give people the impression that all we do is be excited about scriptures because certainly we are excited about them. Why else would we do a podcast about them? But we're excited about God too. So that's a thing. That's real. But sometimes we get in slumps too. Mm-hmm. I've been kind of in a slump. I, I don't want to call it a slump. It's more of like a... Um, what would you call it, Zach? You have a word for that? Nope. Um, just kind of a blah feeling where I'm like, ah, I'm not really motivated to get up and do something or, um, to read my scriptures. I haven't been doing very good at my prayers. And then I just think, you know what? It's okay. That's just kind of part of, of how we do things. So we are excited to be here and I only want to talk about scriptures. I'm not talking about anything else, even though Zach might have said something. And we are here to get into Alma. So we mentioned last episode that over the next couple of episodes, we're doing something a little bit different. We are walking through in greater depth the learning model that we set out in our study record, which is learn, feel, do, and become. We have found this a very healthy approach to scripture study. Of course, it's not the only one. In this episode, we want to dive a little bit deeper into what it means to study the scriptures for learning. Now, this might seem like a really basic skill, and it is, but it's one that with a little bit of practice, uh, it can be a powerful foundation for your scripture study. We are very good uh, as members of the church at identifying in the scriptures, um, ideas, phrases, scriptures that we like, and even truths. What we are sometimes not so good at doing is connecting those truths to God. Um, President Nelson taught about the atonement, that there is no such thing as the atonement. It's the atonement of Jesus Christ. And the atonement should never be separated from Jesus Christ. Well, just as that's true about the atonement, it's true about every truth of the gospel. Prayer separated from God is not a gospel principle. It has no power in it. Prayer only works because you're talking to God. Tithing is not a full gospel principle without a connection to the God who grants the blessings or the God to whom we're sacrificing. And so our our key for learning powerfully from the scriptures is to ask yourself the question at the beginning of your study, not just what do I learn from my study today, what insights do I get, but what do I learn about God? In my study of the Book of Mormon, 
this year, I have marked every, not just every time the word God or the Lord or the Lord Jehovah shows up. Um, I have marked every pronoun and every reference to him, and he's all over the place. It's not difficult to identify truths about God or truths connected to him, especially in the Book of Mormon. For me, this learn step has become really meaningful because instead of approaching scriptures in a way that I need to know the background, I need to know the history, or I need to know cool details about certain verses in order to feel like I'm studying scriptures in the correct way. You're a scriptorian. Or yeah, or feeling like I have to be a scriptorian to be learning. Instead, I'm really I've really made the switch to what do I learn about God? What do I learn about my creator? I want to come to my scriptures to learn about who God is and in turn learn about what he wants me to do. And I think this makes this very small switch, first of all, it makes the scriptures much more approachable because all we're doing is come to connect with our Father in heaven. And it can be so powerful. I'll use the example of even just what I was talking about earlier, maybe. Um, last week spoke to me as we talked about Alma the Younger and his the story of forgiveness. God is forgiving. That's something that I learned. God helps us and wants us to repent. And just in saying that I was kind of in this a little bit of a slump or a little bit of a meh, meh, I like that word, um, feeling where I'm not saying that my prayers in the way that I think they should be said, or I'm not um, studying the scriptures in the way that I think I should, or I'm maybe not feeling like I'm meeting expectations and not having that desire where I want to be. I learned that God is forgiving and it's okay if I'm not exactly where I think I should be, but the God's going to keep helping me and he's going to help me. And even if I give a little bit, he's going to keep, keep helping me and guiding me. Um, anyway, he's great. And when you co go to the scriptures looking for him, um, you're going to lot, learn a lot about him, but you're also going to learn a lot about yourself too. So, Okay. For our study today, I want to start by, let's say a picture is worth a thousand words, and I'm going to try and use fewer than a thousand words to describe a picture. There is a comic that I saw years ago, and uh, it it shows two groups of people. On one side of the comic uh, panel is just a, a pretty average looking man and a woman. He's got a button up shirt and a tie on, and she's got a dress on. And then right next to them is a, a couple that her hair is shaved into a mohawk, and they're chained together from his nose to her ear, and they've got tattoos all over, and... Uh, heavy eyeshadow, and uh, you know it's a very typical depiction of gangster, punkster kind of thing. And the caption from the couple on the right that are chained together to the couple on the left is, "You Mormons are so bizarre." And I love that comic because there's such an irony I see in it that uh, even though the comics, of course, exaggerating, uh, is very true about the world that we live in. Um, our world values diversity and difference. However, it is sometimes very difficult to be a member of the church for those very reasons, because we are quite different from a lot of our um, peers that live different lives or believe different things or practice different uh, things. 
The second, if you'll bear with me, idea comes from a talk President Uchtdorf gave years ago. We'll put the link in the show notes uh, at a CES devotional. Um, And he retold the story of the ugly duckling. And right after that, he said this. Much of the confusion we experience in this life comes from simply not understanding who we are. Too many go about their lives thinking they are of little worth when, in reality, they are elegant and eternal creatures of infinite value with potential beyond imagination. Discovering who we really are is part of this great adventure called life. Mankind's greatest minds have wrestled endlessly with these questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? What happens after we die? And how does all this fit together? How does it make sense? Once we begin to understand the answers to these questions, not with the mind only, but with the heart and the soul, we will begin to understand who we are, and we will feel like the wanderer who is finally finding home. We will feel like the young swan who has discovered at last who he really is. Everything finally makes sense, end quote. Now, if I can string those two, the comic and this quote together, um, with a little bit of background to the story we're studying this week, the book of Alma, we're ending Mosiah in Mosiah chapter uh, 29 and starting the book of Alma, um, has a unique shift in storyline. Up to this point, the Nephites have been one cohesive group. In fact, King Benjamin's great sermon, and then um, when all of these different groups, you know, Limhi and Alma come back to Zarahemla with King Mosiah, they're even stronger solidified as a group. We are the Nephites, and this is what we believe in. Well, last week's episode has the beginnings of people that start to cause dissensions or differences in this group. And in Alma chapter 1, we start to see that really take off. There's a man that comes named Nehor, and he starts to preach something very different or very uh, distancing from what has been taught and what's believed by the Nephites. And he gains a lot of popularity, and it causes a lot of contention. And then this, this is chapter 1, verse 24. For the hearts of many were hardened, and their names were blotted out, that they remembered were remembered no more upon uh, among the people of God. And also, many withdrew themselves from among them. A chapter later, one of Nehor's followers, Amlicai, starts basically a civil war. And it says this in chapter 2, verse 11. Now the people of Amlicai were distinguished by the name of Amlicai, being called Amlicites. And the remainder were called Nephites or the people of God. And one chapter later, in chapter 3, verse 4, the Amlicites were distinguished from the Nephites, for they had marked themselves with red in their foreheads after the manner of the Lamanites. If I can string all of this together and pose a question for our study today, it's this. The Nephites are facing something they've never faced before, and that is an attack on the very nature of their identity, who they are as a people. And I think we can identify with that. Of course, globally as a church, people attacking our identity as a church and who we are, but I think much more um, dangerously is Satan's attacks on our identity, on who we are. And he attempts to get us uh, to mark ourselves in a way that will distinguish us from the people of God, that will separate us from God and separate us from our identity. And so the question we want to ask today is kind of a two-part question. Part one, what do we learn from our study today about Satan's attempts 
to get us to withdraw from that identity or to get us to distinguish ourselves from our identity or our relationship with God? And part two, what do we learn about God's efforts to, as Alma does at the end of Alma chapter four, reclaim us to that very identity? Okay, so to start off, we're going to start at the beginning of Alma chapter one. We see Nehor as he begins to teach the people. Starting in verse four, he it says, he also testified unto the people that all mankind should be saved at the last day and that they need not fear nor tremble, but that they might lift up their heads and rejoice for the Lord has created all men and had also redeemed all men. And in the end, all men should have eternal life. And they're thinking that sounds pretty good. And it does sound pretty good. Like, don't worry about anything. This is all good. And he, he does say some truth in there, right? There is some things that are real. Um, but it just sounds a little too easy. And that's just part of what priestcraft is that we learn is that they will preach the easy thing. And I think this becomes a really easy, again, way for Satan to get us to withdraw from our real true identity of who we are. Because honestly, this, it's not always easy. Um, I've had to learn this lesson over the last little bit as I'm, um, the thought that comes to me now is teaching my kids to ride up a hill on their bikes. Um, you know, they'll say, I'm getting too tired. My legs hurt. And I've started to say, yeah, they do hurt. And that's a really good thing if your legs are hurting, because that means your muscles are getting so big and you're getting so much stronger. And next time it's going to be easier. And you know, it's one of those funny things that it's really easy to tell your kids something and then you realize that you're doing the same thing that they are most of the time is saying, this is hard. I want to give up. I don't like this. And I've actually started using that own, that technique I've used on my kids for my own self is when I'm tired or whether that be if I'm out exercising or if I'm going through something hard is like, no, this is part of my learning is part of finding who I am and remembering what my divine identity is and remember that remembering that I'm one of God's is really understanding that some things are going to be hard and hard can be so good. Um, we talk about this all the time. You hear it that through the hard things, good things come. And you've probably experienced that for yourself. Sometimes you don't want to hear that, but it's true. Um, well, and how true this is today too, that, um, when our faith gets hard, it is very tempting to want to lessen it or ignore it or detract from it um, instead of pushing or persevering through it. And that's a really common, I think, temptation that we face today is that when, when belief gets hard, when faith gets hard, then I'm going to stop believing or I'm going to lessen my faith. That's certainly been true for me in these moments. I know I've talked about this before, but those moments where I have felt some really hard questions and some really um, heart-wrenching things about my my faith and my life, um, I've realized, I've had enough of those, that I've realized that I do need to lean into those hard things. I need to let myself feel the hard things because I have found beauty on the other side. So almost... 
now when I have a question or something hard come up, it almost kind of is invigorating to me a little bit because I know that if I work through it and if I include God in that, that it becomes something beautiful. And I love the way that we um, hear this in these verses. This is Alma chapter one, verse 25. It says, now this was a great trial to those that did stand fast in the faith, in the faith. Nevertheless, they were steadfast and immovable in keeping the commandments of God, and they bore with patience and persecutions that which was heaped upon them. And yeah, amen to that, right? <laughs> um, that is sometimes how we feel. And But if you pair yourself with God, and if you remember that he's there helping you, even in those hard moments, man, it's worth it. You know, that connects to the thought that I have. Um, I, I get teased all the time because I like alliteration. And so when I notice words that start with the same letter, I get really excited. Uh, and in that verse were a couple of words that start with P, and there's a whole bunch of them in here. Um, how does Nehor use, or what, what tools does he use to try and draw people away from the church? Well, uh, he uses popularity in verse 3. He uses priestcraft, which more or less is just preaching popular things to set yourself up as a light or an example. You're not preaching it for the good of the people or for God's uh, glory. You're preaching it because it makes you popular. So popularity and priestcraft, persecutions in verse 19. Um, I've, all, I've noticed all those before, but what I didn't notice this time was how the people respond. In that verse that you just read, verse 25 they respond with patience to the persecution which was heaped upon them. And in verse 28, they had continual peace, notwithstanding all their persecutions. And I don't know why that stood out so much to me this time. Maybe it's because as an individual, I am, uh, I like justice and I like to see justice served. So if someone's persecuting me for my beliefs, I want to argue back. I want to fight back and I want to show them why what they're saying against me is absolutely wrong and why I should win the argument. I'm the kind of guy that I wish I was like some undercover highway patrolman so that when someone cuts me off on the freeway, I can put my, turn my siren on pull them over to the side of the road, and then walk smugly up to their window, and I want to see the look on their face when they know that they were wrong. The problem is, that doesn't work. It never works. You and I know that arguing with people, fighting back, doesn't ever work. And it is not true to our identity. Jesus didn't fight back. He didn't, per uh, he didn't return persecution with persecution. Uh, he bore with patience and peace and grace, all of his afflictions and burdens. Um, and I think if we're to stay true to our identity, how do we reclaim or uh, retain our identity? Well, it's to act as Jesus did when he was persecuted. And that is to be patient and to keep peace, as difficult as it may be. So if you have someone that is trying to pull you away from the faith or trying to, to diminish your faith or attack your faith, the answer isn't to fight back. Um, if, if you've got someone throwing anti-Mormon stuff at them, the answer isn't to throw anti-anti-Mormon stuff back. The answer is to bear with patience and peace and love and kindness and understanding all of the difficulties that you have uh, and retain your identity as a son or a daughter of God and act like the Savior would. I have to add this one in because I had highlighted this, um, the word prepare. 
and it makes me think as they were... Look at you and your alliteration. I know. I've been married to you for too long, <laughs> apparently. Um, but this is in chapter two, and as they're preparing to go to battle. Um, and I just, I think maybe it's because we're in Alma, so I'm getting ready for the war chapters, but I love this idea of the preparation. I think we can withdraw from our divine identity and who we are when we forget um, that we are prepared for what we're going through. And we can easily reclaim it when we remember that we are prepared. We can prepare with God. And that's what we see happening in these verses. This is Alma chapter 2, verses 12, 13. It talks about all the things that they did to prepare. And for me, for a theme, as we move through Alma and as we learn these stories and get into the war chapters, I think that's going to be a great theme that we can see throughout that I think we're trying to be taught um, in, in this book. Now on to the real P that I had planned. Um, it the was, P that you had planned. Oh my goodness, so many P's today. Perhaps we should ponder. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> Alma chapter 4, verse 6. And it came to pass in the eighth year of the reign of the judges that the people of the church began to wax proud because of their exceeding riches and their fine silks and their fine twine linens and because of their many flocks and herds and their moving on to the end and their cost, very costly apparel. Um, and then when we move into verse 12, yea, there was great inequality among the people, some lifting themselves up with their pride despising others, turning their backs upon the needy and the naked and those who were hungry and those who were athirst and those who were sick and afflicted. Now there was great cause of lamentations among the people. Um, so here we go, right? We see them withdrawing from who they are. They're lifted up in the pride. And then on the other side, um, among the people, while others were abasing themselves, succoring those who stood in need of their succor, such as imparting their substance to the poor and needy, feeding the hungry, and suffering all manner of afflictions for Christ's sake, who should come according to the spirit of prophecy. Um, and I'm going to read verse 14 because it's good. Looking forward to that day, thus retaining a remission of their sins, being filled with great joy because of the resurrection of the dead, according to the will and power and deliverance of Jesus Christ from the bands of death. So how are they reclaiming it? That just answered it in that verse, that they are looking... Um, to the, their Savior, Jesus Christ, they know that he's going to come and they have faith that he is the one that's going to help them reclaim their divine identity. It's interesting that pride is often described as a sin of comparison. And so the thing that pulls people away from their divine identity is looking sideways in comparative ways. And the thing that helps them retain their identity is looking up or looking at, looking forward to Christ and his advent. I think this is a very common one that many of us can can identify with of that idea of when we compare ourselves, Satan's number one tool, maybe it's just because I, I, it's a number one tool for me, so I feel that way. But as we look and compare ourselves to others, whether we're thinking that they're better or thinking that they're worse or comparing different parts of our lives or ourselves to what other people are going are going through, that is when we start to be lifted up in pride. Um, and you know what that feels like. <laughs> and on the flip side of that, that way to remember who we are and reclaim who we are is that looking up and remembering that God is the only person that matters. Well, and we had a neighbor that asked a really good question related to pride. 
she just noticed that uh, Satan mirrors or imitates um, two kind of practices that God uses with us. Um, sometimes God helps us to view our own uh, humility, for lack of a better word. Uh, there's plenty of places in the scriptures, King Benjamin's people that viewed themselves as less than the dust of the earth. They viewed their own nothingness. And she just remarked that Satan does the same thing. He tries to put us down and, and make us view ourselves as less than we actually are. And then also God wants us to see our divine identity and see our connection to him. But Satan also wants us to lift ourselves up in pride. And so how can we identify when we're feeling bad about ourselves or feeling good about ourselves if it's coming from Satan or coming from God? Um, and I don't have a perfect answer to it because it's a really good question. But one thought that I had was whenever Satan is using his tactics, it is absent of any connection to God. He wants us to view ourselves as less than the people around us, or he wants us to view ourselves as better than the people around us, but it's comparative to the people around us. Whereas when God wants us to view our own nothingness, it's in comparison to him. And that humility doesn't cause comparison or contention. It causes gratitude. It causes a reaching up for things that God can give us. Um, he also wants us to view our greatness in relationship to him, that our power comes from his divine gift and his love and his our connection with him. Again, that great imitation of, I think that's a perfect example of that Satan's going to imitate some of the most beautiful truths that we learn about God and that we learn from God that Satan uses them against us. And I think that's one that's really easy to see and that can can really change um, change your life if you're struggling with those things or when you come upon those things in your own life is just remembering to look up to God. I love that one. Well, at the end of chapter four, um, this problem that comes from these internal disputes about identity uh, becomes such a large problem that Alma will give up his governmental position as the chief judge and he does this, and there are some great P words in this verse. Verse 19, And this he did, that he himself might go forth among his people, or among the people of Nephi, that he might preach the word of God unto them to stir them up in remembrance of their duty, and that he might pull down by the word of God all the pride and craftiness and all the contentions which were among his people, seeing no way that he might reclaim them, save it were the bearing down in pure testimony against them. And the next couple of chapters that we'll study, chapter 5 through chapter 16, is Alma's mission to reclaim his people by preaching unto them and bearing pure testimony so that he can remind them of their identity and reclaim them back to God. As you study this week, identify those things in the scriptures that resonate with you that Satan is using to try and to draw you away from God and your relationship with him, but also identify the things that God would have you learn about him or about yourself that will retain and maybe even reclaim your identity. Perfectly put. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. Super cheesy, but we'll end with that. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. We hope you have a great one. Bye.